0: The What Are We Doing podcast and the Aquatic Biosphere Project acknowledges that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and respects the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. On today's episode of the What Are We Doing podcast, We're talking with Sayara Thurston from Oceana, Canada, all about fish fraud, fish mislabeling, and what's really happening in our fishing industry between catching a fish out in the ocean until it gets to our plate. It may shock you to learn that a huge percentage of the fish that we actually buy in a supermarket or even get on our plate at a restaurant isn't actually what it's supposed to be whatsoever. It can be a completely different species from somewhere completely different in the world, and we don't really know until we actually test it. So today, you'll learn a little bit about one of the teams that is working to prevent this issue and make sure that we can trust the seafood that we buy. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn a little bit more about seafood traceability and preventing fish fraud in Canada. Air Boxer. Bunny. G.
1: Moana. Omi. Tubi. Agua. Lo. Enzo. Nizu. N. Blue. Voda. Miri. H. Chai. Shui. Mad. Why. Nero. Acun.
0: water Water, we doing and how can we do better your one-stop shop for everything water related from discussing water its use and the organisms that depend on it for all the global issues that you really never knew all had to do with water i'm your host david evans from the aquatic biosphere project and i just want to ask you something what are we doing How can we do better? Hi, and welcome to another Deep Dive episode of the What Are We Doing podcast. Today, I'm so excited to speak with Sayar. Did I say your name correctly?
1: You did? Perfectly.
0: Oh, perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, with Sayar from Oceana Canada, and we're going to be talking about what Oceana Canada does and what kind of some of the focuses are around food fraud, specifically fish fraud in Canada. So, do you mind just introducing yourself, getting us started off here, and tell us a little bit about what you actually do?
1: Sure. Um, so I'm Sayar Thurston. I'm a campaigner at uh, Oceana Canada. Uh, working on the the seafood fraud campaign. So looking at the issue, as you say, of of fraud um, in in seafood supply chains and how that impacts uh, consumers and and the oceans, of course. We're an ocean conservation organization. Um, And uh, uh, looking at the solutions to those issues, so uh, advocating for better transparency, better traceability in seafood supply chains.
0: Very cool, very cool. In your eyes, what are some of the biggest issues that you see when it comes to seafood in Canada,
1: oh, um, I'm glad you said seafood and not uh, oceans or fisheries, because then uh, some of my <laughs> we'll, colleagues might get mad at bit me. bit narrower, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, you know it's it's a complex issue um, because seafood fraud can. Uh, take a lot of different forms, um, but really the the large kind of overarching issue is a lack of transparency in seafood supply chains within Canada and globally. Um, it's a it's a, a huge issue around the globe, not just in Canada. So when we started our campaign. We, you know, we wanted to, to take a look and, and see if this this problem, which has been well documented around the world, was an issue here as well. Um, and we found that yes, yes, it is. Um, you know, we have conducted seafood testing in six cities across the country and found high rates of mislabeling. I'm sure, we'll talk about that more. But um, you know, seafood fraud is something that is linked to. Uh, to uh overfishing to illegal fishing to uh, health issues for consumers to consumers paying more for products than they should to you know impacts on on fisheries here at home and on honest fishers so it really it touches on on a, a lot of different issues
0: uh, many different issues and it may not always come across as that big of a deal for someone in a grocery store or some not really caring exactly what's in that. But we'll get we'll touch on that later as well. <laughs> as I've gone through this journey of learning about seafood fraud, Oceania Canada has kept coming up again and again and again as the as a team really taking on the issue of seafood fraud in Canada head on. So what is your team's approach to tracking and learning about this issue?
1: Uh, yeah. So as I as I mentioned, we um, we you know wanted to to look at this here in Canada. So the campaign was launched um, about four years ago now. Um, and uh, the the first way we wanted to to look at that was to look at the issue of mislabeling. So look at the products that are actually reaching consumers. Um, so we conducted DNA testing, um, which is really the the only way to actually know if if the fish in front of you is is what is written on the label because even you know even if you're an expert um mm-hmm. on on the subject it's it's very difficult to identify a fillet of fish once it is just it's it's processed and it's and it's there in front of you um so we conducted DNA testing um uh in in six cities between 2017 and 2019 and we found that almost half of the samples that we tested um were mislabeled um so that's Uh, Kind of the first first thing that we did. And obviously, that's, uh, you know, it's hugely concerning for consumers for a a variety of issues. Obviously, there's health concerns, you know, if you're uh, eating something that you could potentially be allergic to, if it's mislabeled, you know, for individuals who might be pregnant or vulnerable, um, and you're eating a species that's not recommended. Um, and if you're also if you're you know paying more for a product, you think you're getting something that's higher quality, more expensive, but actually it's been swapped out for a cheaper species. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, you could be eating a species that's more vulnerable, but it's been mislabeled as a species that's more abundant. So if a consumer is trying to make conscious choices about sustainability, then uh, you know we're really taking away that that choice from consumers by not ensuring that products are properly labeled. Um, so that's that was kind of the, the the beginning years of the campaign, and then <laughs> <laughs> as we as we move forward, we're also looking more now. We recently did a report looking at um, illegal products and kind of the volume of uh, illegal products that could be coming into the country because illegal fishing, unfortunately, is a is a huge global issue. This is something that's just enormous in scale um, and and its impacts. Uh, we know that up to one in five fish caught globally could be from uh, illegal origins. Um, it's worth, you know, between 10 and 23 U S billion dollars is the figure that gets thrown around. There was, uh, a study just last week, I think that came out that said that the U S could be importing up to 2.4 billion dollars of illegal products, um, each year. And, uh, you know, a lot of the products that we import come through the U S. Um, so we, we could be, uh, importing some of those products, uh, uh, sort of un, unwittingly, um, so consumers could be could be spending their money on products that were caught illegally, you know, endangered species, or caught by someone who's trapped in a situation of modern slavery, which uh, is is another issue in in global fishing supply chains. So it's really it can't be overstated um, the uh, the scale of of the problem, and uh, yeah, Canada is is a part of that.
0: Yeah, the the modern slavery angle is something that it's it's shocking to me to to think that you could go to a grocery store or a restaurant in Canada and innocently purchase something that is again fueling either an illegal fishing scheme but also like even modern slavery and and supporting that in in a way that you are unwittingly doing that um it's 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 so sad um that we're we're still there
1: yeah absolutely and of course it's not as you say you know consumers don't want to be supporting these practices, and you shouldn't have to be an, an expert. And, you know, this fishery is at high risk uh, from this this particular area of the world just to, you know, to, to order something in a restaurant or buy something in a grocery store. Um, and it uh, is, is really something that needs to be addressed globally when we look at some of the other Markets in the world, particularly with the, the European Union, they have instituted sort of higher uh, barriers to, to stopping these products. So they'll be able to give out um, you know warnings to certain countries to say uh, we've identified this in your in hmm. your uh, fishing industries. So you need to improve these practices if you want to keep importing your products. Uh, into our market, but Canada hasn't done that. So we're kind of currently relying on other big global players to kind of do the uh, the work for us in terms of stopping these issues rather than um, implementing the solution ourselves.
0: Do you think the issue behind Canada not implementing those kind of rules, is this more of a public awareness issue that it hasn't been brought up where people are are crying out that we need to have this? Or um, maybe there's just no political will. What, what's your take on the pulse of, of that issue?
1: There actually is quite a bit of political will. The government has actually um, funded several global initiatives um, to, to tackle illegal fishing. Um, one of them, just quite recently, they, they funded uh, an issue to, to uh, sorry, a, a, an initiative to detect they're called dark vessels, um, so vessels fishing illegally around the world. Um, which is great, and they've also committed to implementing um, a solution to, to this problem holistically. so boat to plate traceability, which I'm sure we'll talk about more, but essentially knowing where our products come from. Um, so that commitment was made in in 2019 um, and then we have these these piecemeal you know uh, funding initiatives of, of using satellite technology to address illegal fishing kind of in certain areas around the world. but we haven't, seen them move forward yet on on putting in place traceability, which is what would really tie all those things together um, and allow us to make sure that we're keeping these products out of the market. So it's uh, that's that's really what needs to happen next. You know we need to see movement on this commitment to implement traceability to make sure that uh, we're not leaving uh, Canada's borders open to to allowing these products to to continue to come in here. and as you say, you know perpetuating demand for these practices.
0: Absolutely! Wow, that's good to know that there are steps being taken. Maybe the the floodgates are about to open, but um...
1: <laughs> it's you know, of course, as well. We it was great to to get the commitment um, on boat to plate traceability, but shortly thereafter there was a global pandemic. So you know, we we certainly should should give the government a little bit of grace on that. But um, but still, that was <laughs>
0: Absolutely.
1: that was uh, over twelve months ago, and uh, you know, something like just committing to to a timeline for getting something like this in place um, because we also we're kind of lucky in our timing in coming to this because there are other systems in place in the world that we can look at and uh, look at the best practices um, and also construct a system which will work with other traceability um, frameworks in, in other markets, which is really important because, uh, of course, if you... Have systems that aren't able to really speak to each other, then you create loopholes for, uh, you know, for for people who are trying to, to conduct criminal activity, and you also p- create burden on on honest fishers who are trying to do the right thing, but now they're trying to,
0: uh,
1: you know, be compliant with six different systems for their products, which is a, which is a huge burden. So our timing is is good on this, in that we can learn from from other existing systems um, and uh, and create a system that that will work now and into the future. So we have to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, we actually have to take that next step.
1: Exactly,
0: The path has been laid,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but take that first step. Uh, so I guess you, you mentioned that Oceania has done a lot of these studies to actually test the seafood from major cities across canada and actually Mm -hmm. dna test those samples i've done a little bit of a test myself and i've sent in some samples um i'm still waiting on the results unfortunately i believe the lab has been converted into a COVID 19 testing facility so i've only received one out of my four samples that has been id'd but hopefully by release of this podcast episode they will be out and i can Uh update that
1: (laughs) That's uh, it's probably a, a good use of the lab's time there.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's <laughs> no, no hurry about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I guess from your perspective, how likely am I to buy mislabeled seafood at the grocery store? And is this also a problem at restaurants or is one better or one worse? Um, and has this improved since you last took a Canada-wide survey?
1: Uh, it depends on what you're buying. Um, so our uh, studies have, you know, we target species which we know are at higher risk for fraud because, you know, if you if you know there are counterfeit twenty dollars bills going around, then that's that's what you'll look for um, in terms of finding a problem. Mm. So we do target species um, specifically that we we know are at higher risk. So if you're buying. Um, some of those high-risk species, such as things like uh, like butterfish or Pacific salmon or uh, halibut, snapper, sea bass, um, some types of sole, uh, some types of tuna. Um, yeah, sort of a you know a, a specific list of species are at higher risk because either right. they're you know they're they're more expensive. You can sell them to the consumer for a higher price. Uh, or they're more, uh, they're harder to find, um, you know, so you swap in something else so that you can say that you have this, uh, this species that's more coveted. Um, so there are products that are higher risk. Um, and uh, in restaurants, actually, your risk is is much higher. Um, our studies and other studies have found that in restaurants, that's where the, the highest uh, instances of, of fraud are occurring. Um, so that's where you're most likely to encounter this. But, you know, in our studies, we we don't name the the locations where we go and, and do testing because often restaurants themselves are, are victims of this fraud. You know, a restaurant owner can think that they are doing the right thing, but if uh, fraud has happened somewhere further back in the supply chain, um, then they, you know, there's only so much they can do to, to protect themselves, especially here in Canada without, uh, as I say, a, a more robust system of traceability. Um, and, and we know that, that that mislabeling and that swapping out does happen at each point through the supply chain. Seafood is uh, very highly traded. It's one of the most highly traded food commodities in the world. So it has a longer and more complex supply chain than most other products that you'll buy in the grocery store or at a restaurant. So that creates more opportunities for those uh, those instances of, of species getting swapped out um, to to occur. There was a story a few weeks ago I think of um, a, a company in, in BC uh, that was fined for importing uh, a species of eel that was critically endangered and it was mixed together with uh, just a, a species of eel that was that was you know, allowed to be imported. So that's one way that you see these types of things happening wow. is uh, products will be mixed together. Um, and the only way yeah the only way to, to catch them is to is to do this type of testing. Um, so it really, you know, it happens throughout the supply chain. Um, and uh, just recently as well, there was a kind of a, a very broad analysis uh, that The Guardian uncovered. So they looked at uh, 44 studies with over, I think, 9,000 samples um, from 30 different countries. And they, yeah, they found that about 36% of those samples were mislabeled. Um, so it is... Yeah, it's uh, it's some,
0: that's crazy. It's
1: it's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, we know it's a it's a big problem. Um, it's it's not something that is just going to go away by itself. It needs it needs specific action to target it because seafood is such a high risk product.
0: Yeah, it, it seems that seafood is always kind of portrayed as a noble fisherman goes out and, and provides it and brings it back into shore, and then you can buy it straight away. But there's there's so many other steps that go into that boat-to-table process that I think just doesn't get the recognition that those steps are actually taking place.
1: And it's, uh, you know, when we do think about that kind of, uh, you know, obviously Canada has a, a fisheries uh Culture and you know it's part of the, the coastal identities, but the reality right. is that most of what's what's eaten here is imported. So most of what we uh, catch here in Canada is exported to other countries, and then most of what is consumed here, uh, about eighty percent, is imported. So we're really at the mercy of what happens around the world in terms of what people are eating here, um, and we're also. Asking uh, our fishers here in Canada, if they are exporting their products to other markets like the EU or to the United States or to uh, Japan, which is the the third largest market that we export to, we're asking them to kind of conform to a higher uh, standard in terms of documentation, um, providing information through the supply chain, than we're asking of products that are coming in here. So consumers right now should be you know, pretty mad about it. Um, if you're, you know, yeah. you're, you're uh, sort of allowing any old product to to come in with not that much information attached to it, um, as opposed to asking asking our industries here to to uh, meet a higher standard.
0: And that's a really interesting point too, that we import so much and we have a huge amount of ocean that we do fish and we, we do export a lot of seafood, but maybe it's it's not as, uh, not as attractive as, as something from the Caribbean. It seems very strange to me that we identify with some areas of our country as being so uh, dependent on fisheries, mm-hmm. yet we don't actually consume those fish and bring in other fish. From elsewhere, throughout the world.
1: Yeah, it's also um, you know a reflection of, as I said, these sort of complex supply chains that have just evolved as you know the world has increasingly globalized. Um, it's also you can you know you can buy a product in the grocery store. You can, for example, go in. Uh, this is something I've seen kind of commonly, and buy you know frozen fillets that. Uh, are sold as you know Pacific salmon um, and presumably you know that that's accurate but then on the back you'll see it says product of China um, and the reason for that is because you uh, can you know a salmon can be fished off the coast of, of BC but then shipped to China to be processed and then shipped back frozen to be sold in a Canadian grocery store um, and then it's labeled as a product of China because uh, Seafood labeling is also kind of a mess, which has its own um, issues attached to it. Um, but right now, what our labels require is the last place that something was was processed is what it's labeled as in terms of the uh, you know product of China or a product of the U.S. Um, so rather than say product of Canada, that frozen fillet will say product of China because it was shipped halfway around the world and then shipped back um, and sold. You know, it's marketed as a local product, but the actual Point of origin is listed as, as the, the last place it was processed, so it's uh, it's confusing for consumers, um, and there are certainly very n- bigger issues with, as you say, you know, supply chains that are um, you know long and kind of not that logical when you um, break it down like that, um, and uh, just in terms of the you know going back to the issue of labeling, you're not really giving people a clear picture um, of of what's happening. You know, we import so much seafood from the U.S., but uh, that essentially, you know, if it says product of the U.S., all you know is that that is the last place that that product was processed. It was not necessarily fished there. It could have been caught anywhere in the world, um, including in countries that have been linked to you know, destructive fishing practices to slavery to illegal fishing to any number of issues and you don't have a way of knowing that right now because our standards are just they're they're lax and we're we're falling behind in terms of global best practices.
0: Absolutely. And you touched on the issue of labeling. Labels can convey a lot of information. Consumers only take about six or seven seconds to make a decision about a product based primarily on the labeling and many Canadian consumers will care deeply about different products based on whether it's organic for example or not and it seems to be there's a bit of a lack of concern within the general public about where their seed food actually comes from or or even if it contains what it's advertised to on the on the package and is this just a general malaise of people not caring do you believe or or is this simply people aren't aware of the implications
1: um I would um, maybe counter. I think that people do care, um, but you know, when you, as you say, you know, you're reading labels in the grocery store, and there is a huge amount of information to take in, and it and it is confusing. Um, but when uh, at Oceana, we've we've done market research, and when you, we ask people about this issue specifically, um, we get you know a, a, a really strong response. People are Concerned about about where their seafood comes from, which I think is reflected, as you say, people are more conscious now of buying organic, of buying locally, of buying um, you know things that that don't have pesticides or didn't support certain practices. Um, and it is, right. you know, there are a, a lot of variables for people to um, to try and keep up with as as our supply chains generally, not just with seafood, but become more complex. Um, but uh, s- seafood, I think. Uh, I think we Canadian industries as well have to kind of take an opportunity to make sure that they're giving consumers enough information so that they do have uh, a higher level of trust in products. Um, One of the the questions that we asked people was, um, you know, if if seafood in Canada had better labels, would you trust those products more? And 80% of people said yes. Um, which which makes sense, you know, because uh, every time, you know, every time we do a, a study on this issue, we get a really strong response for consumers, and understandably so. You know, you don't want to mm-hmm. be in a grocery store and, and feel unsure of, of what you're buying. Um, you know, we've all lived through a very stressful time in terms of going out in public and not feeling safe and not feeling like you can touch anything or whatever, yeah. you know. No one wants to, to to kind of constantly feel like they're on guard um, when, you're, when you're in a grocery store. Um, so it's yeah, I think that people do care about it, and and you know we we saw that reflected. The government committed to implementing this, um, so it's uh, yeah, so that Canadians can feel sort of have have confidence in the products that they're buying.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I I've noticed that many grocery stores um, will have created their own seafood certification labels, and there's there's other ones out there like Ocean Wise, MSC, ASC. Sorry, I'm not um, sure if you can
1: hear my cat crying. With
0: Oh, no. <laughs> Pets are allowed. Pets are allowed. <laughs> with, with with so many of these different labels and certification processes, um, how, how do consumers know what they can trust and what might just be marketing? What is your advice for consumers in this area of making sustainable choices if we don't actually have the labels on our, our seafood to help us make those choices?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And I think to the point as well about consumers caring about this, I think, you know, that's certainly a reflection of the fact that that there is a lot of interest in it, you know, the increase that we see in certifications and, um, and claims made about uh, where products come from, how they were caught, that kind of thing. Um, And there is, you know, there is a risk that, um, that it does become confusing that that greenwashing um takes place um which uh, would just mm-hmm. further erode trust um so what we really want to see is a baseline um you know if we have uh a regulatory response to this so that everybody knows that uh you know that there is a certain baseline of information that's required um by law and then if certification right, right. programs you know want to go above that then that's great and obviously you know you can uh, increase the value of a product by by uh, having those you know uh, those claims and and you know products that are more local or produced in a certain way, um, which is which is their prerogative and you know that's that's uh, great to see as as consumers are looking for those products. But without a level playing field, what you're really doing is yeah you're creating a situation that could be confusing and could be exploited, um, and that also, as I said, can create kind of a burden for uh, for producers, for importers, if they're Mm -hmm. trying to, uh, to conform with a whole bunch of different, uh, requirements for, for different, for different programs that are just independently kind of springing up with, with grocery trains or with businesses as they try to fill this gap, because there isn't, you know, there isn't one baseline in place that everybody has to meet.
0: Yeah. It makes it very convoluted. You mentioned that other countries have been really good examples and that Canada is uh, a couple steps behind in our seafood labeling. So do, would you be able to just touch on an example of where we should be looking to, how we could improve and and what that would look like maybe on labels or within the process of uh, seafood getting to the market?
1: Sure. So um, yeah, the kind of uh, the highest standard that we point to is the, the European Union. They actually just celebrated the 10-year anniversary of their catch documentation scheme going into place. So basically requiring Mm. that products uh, that are uh, imported come with, you know, proof that they were fished legally um, and they they can be traced back to their their point of origin. Um, And then the U.S. as well has a boat-to-border, not boat-to-plate, but boat-to-border system in place for certain species, not for everything. Um, and then Japan as well, which is one of the the largest markets uh, in the world, just passed legislation um, just very recently, um, uh, requiring um, traceability to to keep illegal products out of their market as well. So that just passed. Obviously, it needs to be put in place. Um, so we're yeah, we're really seeing the the largest kind of players in the global market. Put these systems in place and require. Um, uh, you know these, these systems keep evolving as well. The EU is currently um, looking at uh, you know moving to one hundred percent electronic um, uh, data data gathering, which uh, is you know if you have if you have a, a paper system that creates more chances for things to be falsified or um, you know there have been instances of, of cash documentation being used kind of at multiple ports because you can. You can pass them around between vessels, right. um, and but the the U.S. as well is uh, is uh, looking at uh, increasing their traceability. So within domestically as well. So right now it's just from the boat to the border that products are traced, but they uh, are uh, looking right now at, at implementing that domestically as well. So we do we do have examples that we can look at and that we can learn from, um, which is as I said, you know, our timing is. Is is good on this, um, and we we want to make sure that something that we put in place uh, can can work with these other systems. Because as we move to more sort of digital record keeping, and and as trade continues um, to be to be such an important part of the seafood sector, um, we need to be able to work with with what we're seeing is increasingly the global trend
0: just to kind of finish up what would you say to canadian consumers that are shopping for seafood right now and how can they get involved in seafood traceability and and have their voice heard
1: so there are things consumers can do um, if you're shopping um things like uh if you buy a whole fish um that's you know it's harder to disguise a fish than a fillet um uh, just asking questions of the person that you're buying fish from you know if if they don't know the answers it's not not a great sign um looking at price points if something seems you know too cheap to you know too good to be true then it it probably is kind of having an awareness of of Mm. what's in season kind of what you're likely to to be seeing um just so that you're kind of aware of of uh what, what could be um swapped in swapped out that kind of thing um but ultimately it shouldn't you know, it shouldn't be up to consumers to have to know these things when you're when you're shopping for seafood. It should be something that you feel confident about. Um, so it's yeah, uh, it's it's definitely um, not something that people should should have to be aware of on a day to day basis. Um, and if people want to uh, learn more about the issue or sign our petition, um, they can go to Oceana.ca um, and read more about it. There's a it's a it's a complex subject, and it's um, but it luckily it's it's one of those issues that you know the the problem itself takes many forms, but the the solution is is kind of a silver bullet. Um, certainly not not for 100% of, of things, but in terms of uh, <laughs> a, of really reducing risk of, uh, of products being mislabeled, of illegal products coming in, um, getting a system of of boat-to-plate traceability in place, and being able to to feel sure about where products are coming from and that they are what they say they are on the label, then that's, uh, that's, that's really what we need to do to make sure that, uh, that that people can feel more confident when they're buying seafood.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. I'll leave links in the show notes for Oceana Canada and the petitions and, and the work that you are doing. But thank you so much uh, for speaking with us today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: And if there's anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Oh, yeah. I
1: think we covered a lot. <laughs> um, That's uh, an important issue for consumers. So I'm glad that you're informing your listeners about it.
0: Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Sayara for actually speaking with me about this fantastic, crazy, weird world of fish fraud. And thanks so much to the Oceana Canada team for tackling these huge challenges and really bringing to light some of these issues that all consumers of seafood in Canada should be concerned about. Also, Oceana Canada does a great job of advocating for many different ocean conservation problems, such as microplastics, such as ghost fishing, so many different topics that we've covered in this podcast as well. You can check them out at Oceana.ca, O-C-E-A-N-A.ca. I'll leave links in the show notes to their social media channels and also to their website, so be sure to check out the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to the What Are We Doing podcast. It's been such an experience conducting these interviews and producing these episodes, and... It's been great to get lots of positive feedback about these episodes. So unfortunately, these are the last episodes for season one. Fish fraud is our last topic that we're covering in in this season. But don't worry, season two will be coming your way soon. I'm the host and producer, David Evans, and I would just like to thank the rest of the team from the Aquatic Biosphere Project, specifically to Paula Pullman, Sophie Cervera, Anna Bettini. Thanks for all of your help. To learn more about the Aquatic Biosphere Project and what we're doing here in Alberta, telling the story of water, check us out at aquaticbiosphere.ca. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, we'd love to hear them. Email us at conservation at aquaticbiosphere.org please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks, and it's been a splash.